Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Veg Grower Podcast. My name is Richard and I am trying to grow my fruit, vegetables and herbs in my allotment and my garden. Now usually each week I will be sharing with you what I have been doing on the allotment or on the garden over this last week. However, this last week I have been away. Firstly, I was helping Lee Connolly, aka the Skinny Jean Gardener, on his theatre tour where we took extreme gardening to the masses. A lot of fun and it was a really good experience, I've got to say. However, for me, the real highlight is what happened on Sunday because I was lucky enough to be invited to BBC Gardener's World Autumn Fair at Audley End House and I took part in my first ever stage talk. It was a lot of fun and I have recorded the audio for you so that is what you're going to hear on today's podcast. The stage itself was the Let's Grow stage. It was hosted by Lucy Chamberlain from Talking Heads podcast and that's going to be the first voice you will hear. So let's get into it. We've got a fantastic couple of speakers for you lined up. Uh, they're sitting right here in the front, being very coy. You guys need to come up on stage. Uh, please welcome oh. to the stage Lee Colony and Richard Suggert. They're going to do a talk called How to Turn Your Garden into a Lean Green Food Producing Machine. So, without further ado, Richard and Lee, over to you guys. Well, thank you so much. Are we having a good day so far? Yes. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, today, uh, we are very lucky to be joined. Uh, my name's Lee Connolly, but we're very lucky to be joined by this man here, uh, the top 10 gardening podcaster in the world. Hi. Hi. How yeah. you doing? Oh, yeah. Exactly, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, Mr. Richard Suggett. And today, Richard, you're going to tell us how to make our garden a mean green growing machine. Lean mean food growing food machine. Food machine. Uh, but before that... Uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, how did you start getting into gardening? Well, I started my gardening journey when I was just 10 years old. Believe it or not, that's over 30 years ago now. And what it was, we lived in a council house at the very top of this garden. We had this completely full of brambles, weedy area. Just looked a complete and utter mess. We didn't have much money. And I decided as a 10-year-old, I was going to do the thing to help my parents out. I was going to grow some food. Now, growing food is part of my heritage. My grandfather grew up on a nursery, and when I started growing this food, he started coming out the woodwork, sharing his tips and advice, helping me out with various bits and pieces. It was a real great bonding experience as a a young teenager, and it it carried on right throughout my life. Now, as, as I mentioned, my grandfather, that very first Christmas, as a present under the Christmas tree, he brought me a load of horse manure. It was the greatest present a 10-year-old could have actually achieved, but my mum wasn't impressed. Made a complete mess of the carpet, unwrapping it on Christmas morning. Stunk the house out for weeks, but it was great. It started off this journey. Now, my grandfather again, he grew up on the nursery, and during World War II, the outbreak of World War II, his headmaster at school, he got my grandfather to teach his fellow pupils how to grow their own food. This is in a little West Sussex village in the middle of nowhere. And I feel, as myself as a podcaster, somebody who loves growing our own food, 
that started off my journey on what I do now with the Veg Grower podcast. The Veg Grower podcast is there to try and encourage people to grow their own food, teach people how to do it, and inspire by actually showing what we do. Um, Now, as I said, that was a 10-year-old when I started. We've continued right through my teenage years, into my 20s. I moved out of home into a little flat where we only had windowsill gardening, so we made the most of the space we had. I then moved in with my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and we had this tiny little garden, which we continued growing food in that area as well. And as we were getting married, we relied on that to try and save money so we could get married. Our food bills at that time cost us £20 a week because we were growing all our own food in an area that wasn't much bigger than this stage here. So it was really, really tiny. We also had a quarter of an allotment, which wasn't much bigger as well. But for me, it proved that we could save a lot of money in order to get married and continue on into our our life. Now, at the same time, this is around 2013, we were just coming out of that 2008 recession. There was still a lot of people who were financially struggling. We were seeing on the news all the time that uh, there were parents on the TV who were struggling to feed their family. So we, um, this was the inspiration behind the podcast. And I was seeing these people who were struggling and you would see a shot of their garden and it was just grass with a few kids' play toys. Now I know Lee's a skinny the, uh, kid's gardener, so he's well into getting kids into the gardening. But I always felt when people are struggling to feed themselves and you've got a garden right there, it's a great opportunity that's being missed in order to grow food and survive. Now, nowadays, I have moved into a bigger garden, not a huge garden. It's still what I would call a moderately sized garden. It's about the same size as your average allotment. Uh, and I've also got a full size allotment as well. But we spend a lot of time going into these areas, growing lots of food. We try and grow, well, we do grow all of our fruit, vegetables and herbs on a weekly basis. We do not have any problems. And again, our food bills are incredibly low thanks to our garden, thanks to our allotment. Um, Come on, Lee. (laughs) uh, You said about your podcast, just quickly before we go into like the gardening side, you said about your podcast... Uh, you have interviewed some amazing people uh, in your mm. podcast talking all about how to grow their own food. Uh, but what was it? What was it the podcast about? I know it was about communicating and bringing a community together. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, yeah, so the podcast it is designed to be a guide. So I felt inexperienced. I didn't feel I had the necessary skills to teach people how to garden by telling people what to do. And I don't want to tell people what to do. What I wanted to do with the podcast was just set out my journey and lead by example. So what the podcast is, it's very much a diary of what I do. So each week I go down the allotment or the garden, I might be sowing tomato seeds or planting out potatoes or trimming our trees. The whole idea of that was if I'm doing it, other people are going to follow it in the following week and follow my example. And hopefully, I live very far on the south coast, so by being a bit further ahead, hopefully that's going to lead on up right throughout the country and encourage more people to follow the same routine. And give a guide for when it is the right time to sow certain seeds, when it's the right time to do certain tasks. There's a lot of 
bad advice out there or confusing advice out there that leads people down the wrong route, I feel. So I built the podcast around myself, uh, but we've also built community on the side of it. I know there's a couple of people out there who listen and join in in the shows that we do. Lucy here as well. And we wanted to create a community of gardeners that all share their own tips because everyone has different techniques, different gardens, different ways of growing things. And I wanted all those tips to be shared so that anybody listening could take their own little snippet of advice and use it in their own garden. There's a saying, if you ask three gardeners the same question, you will get four different answers. And I think that is certainly true. Now, we still carry on with the podcast. It's been over 10 years of being creating a podcast. And this is unheard of in the podcast world. It's such a rare thing for podcasts to get past 10 episodes. We've just done 517 episodes. We celebrated our 10-year anniversary just a month or two ago. Thank you. We've also built a community. We've got a Facebook group. We've got a Facebook page. We do a live show on a Sunday, which is just a bunch of gardeners getting around, having a chat. We have a lot of fun, but it all boils down to the fact that we're all sharing our own tips, tricks, and little bits of advice. Lee's actually uh, quite often contributes as well, don't you, mate? Yeah, I can't, you can't keep me off it, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'll try and be on as much as I can, mainly for my ego more than anything. I was going to say, he just likes to be heard and seen. <laughs> we often have Lucy on this show. Well, is that still working? Yeah. We often have Lucy on the podcast as well. In fact, Lucy has her own podcast, which was inspired by my podcast, which was one of the other aims that we did with the Veg Grower podcast. Anyway, I think that's enough about the podcast, enough about me. Let's talk about it. And so how can we make uh, a lean, mean growing machine in our garden, a food growing machine at that? Well, I always think that there's three things that every gardener needs that there is never enough of. First one is water, especially with this hot sun that we've got at the moment. This year's been quite wet, but last year we had a lot of sun. So what I've done in my garden, I have 15 water butts. There's a name you call me for that, isn't there? I call you um, the butt king. <laughs> what? Now these 15 water butts... Out of context, that's not great. No, no, it's not, it's not. But we're on that subject. But all these water butts are strategically placed around my garden, hidden behind sheds, near the vegetable beds where I need them. By having 15 water butts, we never run out of water for our garden. We don't use tap water at all in our garden. And they, I know water butts can look quite an eyesore, but having them in these places, they don't look too bad, especially hidden behind the sheds because no one knows they're there. We also use the, uh, the same rainwater. I mean, I don't understand why rain falls from the sky onto our rooftops and down the drains out to sea, yet we pump perfectly good fresh water to our houses and flush a toilet with it. It just seems a bit crazy to me and wrong way around. But by having 15 water butts, we've managed to, again, reduce our water bill. We've got three bedroom house. Our water bill each year comes through and it says we're using the equivalent of two people living in a one bedroom flat just by using this many water butts, saving money, but also growing good food, which is quite a good thing that I'm important about. Is there any other ways that we can save water in the garden apart from having 15 water butts spread around? Yes, my biggest water saving tip has been to use mulches. Now, 
one of my favorite mulches to use is compost. We just simply pile that up around our plants on the, the, the beds and it just creates a shade on the soil, stops all the rainwater from being evaporated off into the sun. It also benefits the plants because they get extra nutrients and grow better for it. But mainly, mulches are a good thing. But also, if you're growing in hanging baskets, I like to add biochar, which is a type of charcoal. And what that does is it creates like a sponge inside the hanging basket. You can use this in pots as well. It creates a sponge, along with perlite and vermiculite are other things I like to add. Top tip when it comes to buying perlite and vermiculite. 10 pounds for 10 liters in a garden center usually. I found a bulk buy online, 100 liters for 40 pounds. That's a 60% saving. That it does, it does come in quite a big bag and you have to find somewhere to store it. But if you use a lot of it like I do, it's a massive saving. Uh, yeah, so perlite and vermiculite, very similar to biochar. You pour it into your, or mix it into your compost. It acts like a sponge. It holds onto water, holds onto nutrients, encourages your plants to grow and produce food. So they're my biggest tips, adding perlite, vermiculite and mulches. You have got uh, an allotment, quite a big allotment, and uh, a garden which you've literally turned into allotment pretty much. How yeah. do you have the time to do all of that growing and caring for them plants? Well, time is the second thing that I think every gardener wishes they had more of. Don't it? We all got busy lives, working, kids, dogs. They all take up our time. So what I've developed is a technique, what I call little and often. It's not my name, but it works. And what that is, is every morning before I go to work, I'll spend about half an hour, an hour in the garden, doing a bit of weeding, maybe a bit of pruning, harvesting some food. And then on the way home from work, I do exactly the same on the allotment. Now by doing this little and often, I actually stay on top of a lot of the weeds because it's not taking up so much time. You're not giving them a chance to establish and we're just simply going around and pull them out. In the morning, it's, it can be a bit of a drag getting out there in the morning. I'm not a morning person at all, but we do it. We do it. I take the dog out. She goes running around the garden. I'm out there in my welly boots. Uh, I actually take out with me this little truck box that I keep by the back door so I can easily pick it up. And what we keep in there, unfortunately, one thing I've got in there that I usually have in there that I haven't got today because I didn't think it was appropriate is my hori hori knife. Now, a hori hori knife is a Japanese garden tool. Obviously, a knife used for cutting a great many things, but it also is good for digging. It's actually dig dig in Japanese is what hori hori stands for. So if you are doing some quick planting, having this knife just in that box, I can quickly get my plants in, done. That half hour, I get a lot done. Gardening gloves, of course, always need good gardening gloves. I will admit I do prefer not to gardening gloves, but when you're trying to get stuff done quickly, you don't want to spend 10 minutes washing your hands before you have to get off out the road. So keeping your gardening gloves by the back door, quickly pop them on on your way out, saves time washing your hands. And then the final thing I always keep is this multi-tool. Let me open it, let me open it up and I'll show you what it does. Pair of secateurs. Now I keep this by the back door, not just for the secateurs, but also it's got screwdrivers and other little tools that are just great. Those little quick jobs that you then think you need to go and get your screwdrivers for to do. 
because it's all here, they get done. They don't build up. They're done in seconds. They, the little screw that might come loose, you think, you've got to do that at some point. It gets pot off and pot off. Doesn't with this, it just gets done there and then. Again, this goes on to saving time in the future. And then usually I keep some bits of twine in there as well, already cut up to size. I can just quickly tie things into place as and when I see them needing to be done. Now, the third thing that I think every gardener needs more of is compost. And if anybody can tell me how we can produce enough compost, I would love to know, because there's never enough of it. I keep, I try and compost everything that is compostable, be it garden waste, be it our kitchen waste, you name it, if it's compostable, we'll do it. Even some of our old underwear, all goes in the compost bin. We usually keep Dalek compost bins, which I don't think are the most attractive, but they do the job. We also have wormeries, which we mostly use for our kitchen waste. But one thing that I also have is a underground composting system. This actually came from a company called Subpod. And what it is, it's, it's buried into the ground. It's got a little lid on the top that you lift up, you put your compostable materials into there. The worms come in and they chew everything up and turn it into compost. What I like about this is it's discreet. It doesn't look like it's a compost bin. And it, you know how Daleks can look really ugly when you look out in the garden? This compost bin, because it's underground, it's discreet. But it also doubles up as a garden seat. So it's got two purposes, which I think is great if you don't have acres of land like we have here at Audley End House. Now, I know, talking of size of garden, Lee here, you have a very tiny garden, don't you? I do, it's only a fence panel by a fence panel big, and that was the next question I was gonna ask, because not everyone has an allotment or a large garden which they can turn into an allotment. Some people have balconies. I've got, like I said, a small garden. So how can we do all this in a small space? Well, I think regardless if you've got a small space or a large space, it's about using your land effectively that you do have. So one of the things that I recommend and wish I had done more when we did have a small space was vertical gardening, creating a living wall, which where you might have a, a vertical garden system with lots of little pockets that you can grow in lots of food. Personally, in a small space, I would go more for herbs. And the reason I say herbs is that you can use those in more than one meal. But you've got grolos up this wall. They look fantastic. They take quite a bit of care of watering, but because it's in a small area, it's very quick to do. Sticking with the vertical theme, hanging baskets are a great tool as well, I've found. Now we grow lots of things in hanging baskets and I've learned that quite a few plants actually benefit from growing in hanging baskets. One of those examples would be tomatoes. Who here grows tomatoes? I see a, a raise of hands. Fantastic. So lots of you. How many of you suffered with blight this year? There we go. So blight... One unlucky person. <laughs> I counted a few more. But oh, okay. <laughs> I, I recently, last week, I had to remove all my outdoor tomato plants because of blight. Same as you. Yeah. So what I found is in the tomatoes in hanging baskets, they actually don't catch blight because they've got better ventilation. So that's a great reason to grow tomatoes in hanging baskets. But something else I've done is chilies and peppers in hanging baskets. Who grows chilies and peppers? Do you find that when they get that really free draining soil or you don't water them much, they dry out, they grow better? Yeah. 
And that's what I found with hanging baskets. They've got that natural free draining process that the water just sinks out really quickly. The soil dries out really quickly, but chilies and peppers, they love that. And they end up producing a lot more chilies and a lot more peppers for that very reason. Now, the other thing I would say if you have got a small space is to think about what space you have. And last year, we started converting our front garden into an edible paradise as well. Now, our front garden isn't very big. It only gets the evening sun, but it is full now of lots of pots, which work around our cars and our vehicles as well that are on the drive. It is a driveway garden, but we have currant bushes, gooseberry bushes, apple trees, uh, pear trees, even plum trees, mostly the dwarfing varieties because they use less space. But this front garden, which again, it fits about two cars, so it's not a huge space, but we're getting a lot of food out of it with a lot of different fruits. We could even go on and add more herbs out there, or even tomatoes in pots and things like that as well. The reason I chose pots is so that we can move them out the way easily should we need a bit more space, should we change our car at some point, need a bit of a bigger garden or something. It's all about, for me, it's all about trying to live with what you've got and work to what you have and adapt as necessary. You must get asked as the veg grower, uh, what to grow? What is the best thing I can grow? I do get asked that question a lot, yes. But what I always say is, grow what you eat. It's no good me sitting here and saying, oh, I grow tomatoes, so you must eat them if you don't eat tomatoes. In fact, I've known several people. In fact, Lee, you, you had a story. When you started growing, one thing you grew that you never ate, what was it? Onions. Onions. I really don't like onions, though. <laughs> hate them. So why did you grow them? I have got no idea. I've never grown them again since, though. And that's my point. You're wasting the space by growing something you don't eat. What's the point? What is the point? So grow what you eat. And that may be a case that you sit down, work out what you're buying on a weekly basis and see what you can grow from that list. Now, there are challenges with trying to grow everything that you eat. Not every garden is the same. You may not have the right soil. You may not have the right sunlight or the right conditions but as you go along and there's a lot of varieties now that actually adapt to those conditions but as you go along you you pick up things the great thing is these days as well there's a wealth of information shows like this uh, online with youtube channels internet and podcasts wealth of information that actually can point you in the right direction quite often we hear about shady gardens and it's one of the most common questions is what can i grow in a shady garden Spinach, peas, raspberries, they all do great in a shady garden. Rhubarb is also great in a shady garden. Broadleaf plants, so it's there to catch as much light as possible. They do better in sunny gardens, but they can actually do very well in a shady garden. So grow what you eat is probably my top tip when it comes to deciding what you grow. Working with the conditions, of course, there's no point growing a, a plant that absolutely loves sun if you only get a small amount of, of light during the day but that's where you've got to sit in the garden see where the light is during the day and see what gets a lot of light I love sitting out in the garden I tell the wife it's research <laughs> uh, your top three go away tips for everyone in the audience today uh, around growing veg what have you got for us oh good question Lee uh, the top three so my first one would have to be do your research as I said work out what you actually eat and if you can grow it there's a lot of plants that you hear a lot of they get a bit of a 
bit of a fad at times when they first come out and it could be something very unheard of. And they're great if you are a bit experimental or want to try things out, but I've often grown some of these and found we don't eat them, so we don't bother growing them. So yeah, do your research first. My, numbers, my second tip would be experiment. There's, a, again, good wide range of different varieties and some varieties do better in different years. We come back to the tomatoes, there's blight resistant varieties out there that can cope with a blight. But some years they still catch blight. It's all an experiment, but don't give up. Now that brings me on to the third tip, which is don't be afraid to make mistakes. We all do it and we learn more from making mistakes. So one example I've, I've always found is that when I moved into my house, we've got a clay soil. I've never really gardened on clay soil. I sowed some carrots and they didn't seem to germinate. What I've learned over the years is I've added more and more compost and the, the compost and the soil sorry, has become a bit more freer. I've sown them a bit thicker, the seeds a bit thicker as well. They've all worked together to break through that soil. On the clay soil, it was creating a capping over the top, uh, which the, the seedlings just struggled to break through. But we did it. We sowed them the thick. We, we learned from our mistakes. So I'm never afraid to make any mistakes. My biggest mistake has to be not touching my garden for the last eight weeks and having to do it all again tomorrow. Little and often. Little and often, yeah, I've learned a lot. Any questions at all here to, oh, straight in, all right, mate, calm down here. Here we go. Um, I've built a, a, a raised border and it's, um, it's probably three metres long by a metre wide and the depth is two and a half foot probably. Yep. What soil do I put in that? What I've done is I've done mixed it with a compost and topsoil. More, yep. more of a story than a question, but he's built a raised bed. <laughs> raised bed with compost in it. Yep. Uh, but what's what the mixture in? Topsoil, mixed all together. And it isn't very good. What can he do? So. You've already added the compost and topsoil, so it's a bit difficult. I think what you've got to just do now is keep adding compost on top and build those soil levels up. I practice a style of gardening called no dig, which you've probably all heard of. And that is where you don't dig over the soil each year. You just add layers of compost regularly, on a yearly basis at least, a few inches. And that helps reduce weeds, conserve moisture and things like that. But more importantly, it doesn't disturb the soil structure. So in your case, what I would do is just keep adding compost up every year but if you were starting from the beginning what I would actually suggest you do is on the bottom layer you place some old logs some old twigs or even the straw bale I've even done in the past as well and one that makes it a bit cheaper to for the compost and things but also particularly wood it acts as like a sponge in the soil it's a, a method of gardening called hugel culture and it will break down over time, but it creates a fantastic environment under the ground that holds onto moisture for your plants and the roots would go down and find it. But it also creates like a mycelium network, which is full of fungi and good things that your plants will love. In your case, as I said, add more compost and keep going with that. I think I have time for one more question. I'm glad you're so close because the microphone might pick you up. I was thinking about tomatoes. I brought tomatoes for the first time. Do you ripen them on the wine or do you take them off or what do you do? Ripen them tomatoes. Do you leave them on the vine to ripen or do you take them off? 
I leave them on the vine to ripen if I can. As I said, my, my tomatoes have got blight I had to remove last week. So because they, they removed, they were still green. I've put those in a sunny window seal and they should ripen off the vine. But if you can ripen them on the vine, I always think they taste better that way rather than being forced. They get all the sugars from the plant and things like that. Um, are, you, are, you, are they being late for ripening for you this year? Is that what your problem is? The first time I've grown them. First time you've grown them? Right, right. Are there, have you had any ripe ones yet so yeah, far? The mini tomatoes. The cherry tomatoes, yeah, yeah. But I've got some are you removing some of the lower leaves as the plant grows? Uh, I did some, but I don't, I don't think I'm very religious at doing that. Right, yeah, so, so tomatoes, if we remove the lower leaves, it helps with the ventilation, but it also encourages the plant to start ripening because it wants it to spread its seed. So it encourages the plant to ripen them. What I usually do is I only remove the lower leaves up to the first truss of tomatoes. And then as we harvest the tomatoes, usually the ones on the bottom are harvested first. We remove those and then we remove some more of the leaves as we go further up. And that helps encourage the tomatoes to ripen. And can you put them in the fridge? Oh, once they're ripened? Yeah, they can go fine in the fridge. I pass... They lose flavour, that's what I'm saying. Um, they, can lo they can lose flavour in the fridge. Uh, personally, I prefer to leave them in a, a salad bowl. They're perfectly fine for a few days out in a salad bowl. We have a, a bit of a thing in this country where we think everything should be refrigerated. Um, but quite a lot of the food that we actually harvest doesn't need refrigeration. The, the clue, if you go into a supermarket, is your tomatoes in the fridge in a supermarket? No, they're not. They're on the shelf. So there's no... After a few days, you might need to... Uh, pot them in a the fridge or turn them into soups or ketchup or anything like that <laughs> but if you do have a lot of green tomatoes you can still eat green tomatoes they're not as sweet but you can use them in things like green tomato chutney fried green tomatoes great number of things we, we tend to like them red when they're fully ripe but you can still eat them in green yeah there we go richard if people want to get some more tips and hints from you where can they find you so my, my website is thevegegrowerpodcast.co.uk. We have a weekly podcast that goes out every Monday. I've done that for years and never failed to miss a, a single one. Uh, we've also got various social media platforms, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Great to see some of you there. Or if you want to get in touch with my email, it's richard at vegegrowerpodcast.co.uk. Best thing as well, join in the community that we have. We built a really good community. There's a young guy here who is one of our members, and somebody there. How's that? Oh, that's better, sorry. Oh my God, it's like half hour later. <laughs> uh, now they tell me. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, please give a round of applause for the veg grower, Mr. Richard Suckers. Thank you. Uh, later on on this stage is Sarah Ward and Chris Bavin at 11.45. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Well, what an experience. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely buzzing after that. I know this is a very personal note, but I'm so proud. My first ever stage talk gave me a real eye-opening. I've learned so much from doing a stage talk. And it's just amazing just how much work we have to pull into these things. I had planned out the talk 
weeks in advance, been rehearsing it while driving around, even did a dress rehearsal with Lee where we ended up changing quite a few things. Lee's an experienced stage talker, so I took what he said on board. But as soon as I got on the stage, I was so nervous. I could see the microphone I was holding just shaking in my hand and I just couldn't control it. It was, And at the end, you heard somebody say they couldn't hear me at the back because I had the microphone too low, which was a lesson learned. But regardless, the talk went down really, really well. I got so much great feedback. Really felt like people wanted to go away and just think about their growing space, turn it into more of an edible paradise. So who knows? We hopefully get more listeners. We hopefully get more people growing their own food. And that's really what I want, more people growing their own food. In whatever format I can get that message across, that's exactly what I want to do. Now, I've learned so much from this experience, so who knows what's going to happen in the future. All these lessons will go on and uh, expand what we do. Now, if you've enjoyed that stage talk, and I really hope you have that recording I've I've supplied with you, please do drop me an email, richard at veggrowpodcast.co.uk. But if you was also in the audience on that day, because I know there's quite a few people who said they were viewers or listeners, please do let me know if that was you. And I really would love to hear from you if if you were sat in the audience or, or came along. It would be absolutely fantastic. Now, one person that I know who was in the audience was our resident chef, Scott. And Scott has sent over an absolutely delicious recipe. I'm going to get this in now before we close up for today. Hello, it's Scott here. And this week, I thought I'd share a recipe with you that I always make this time of year as a sort of homage to summer. And it's gazpaccio or chilled tomato soup. For me, it's a real taste of that year's summer from the allotment or garden. And because nothing has been cooked, you really do get to taste what you have grown at its absolute cleanest and best. And depending on the varieties you have grown, the flavour will change year on year. It must be one of the most refreshing things we can make with our produce. I can think of nothing better to eat outside in the garden on a late summer's evening after a day spent gardening. So, let's jump straight into the recipe. Ingredients. 7 tomatoes, or about 800 grams, diced. 1 cucumber, or about 250 grams, peeled and diced. 100 grams of red and green pepper, diced. 40 grams of celery, diced, and the stringy bits removed with a peeler. 45 grams of red onion, diced. 1 garlic clove, sliced. 8 basil leaves, a splash of sherry vinegar or about 5 to 10 millilitres, a pinch of fennel seeds, 60 millilitres of good olive oil or a cold pressed rapeseed oil. Method Place everything in a mixing bowl and season with a good pinch of salt and black pepper. Then put the bowl in the fridge for 24 hours for the flavours to marry together. At this point, it's a good idea to run some soup bowls under cold water and then put them in the freezer. The key to this dish is serving it super chilled. A couple of hours before you want to serve it, remove the bowl from the fridge and with a stick blender or in a food processor, blend everything together. You can at this point pass it through a sieve. This will make it smoother, but I don't mind the bits. 
Now return the soup back to the fridge for a couple of hours. Then when you're ready to serve, serve it in the chilled soup bowls and head to the garden to enjoy. And that's this week's recipe done. I do hope you give it a go. Well, thank you so much to Scott for that recipe. The recipe will be on the website once I've had a chance to catch up. I'm a bit behind, as I'm sure you can imagine, but that recipe will be on the website within the next few days from this time of recording. Now, that brings us to the end of this podcast. I know it's been a little bit different from our normal format this week. I hope you've enjoyed it nonetheless, and I hope you've enjoyed the stage talk. If you have, then please do consider leaving us a review on your podcast provider. By leaving a review, you help us get found by many other people who might be interested in growing their own food. It really is such an important and amazing thing to do if you could. But if you have really enjoyed this podcast and you want to support the work that we do, then please consider becoming a member of our supporters club. Details for this are at thevegrowerpodcast.co.uk, but to be a member, I charge £5 a month and it gives you the access to our little club, which is just a community of gardeners. What you get, you get extra behind the scenes podcasts as well as a collection of seeds sent to your door each and every month that you are a member. And these seeds are carefully curated to be sown in that very month. And I try and do it so it doesn't include things like greenhouses. It is done to try and incorporate everybody's possible needs. Details on that on the vegrowerpodcast.co.uk. But on the same website, thevegrowerpodcast.co.uk, you can leave us a voicemail if you want to get in touch. And leaving a voicemail is a great thing to do if you've got questions or anything like that. Alternatively, of course, you can send me an email at richard at thevegrowerpodcast.co.uk. And finally, don't forget to check us out on social media. Give us a like, give us a follow and all of that jazz. We will be back again next time. So until then... Please take care.